Hi guys, here we are today with Brian Esposito um, of Esposito Intellectual Enterprises. Brian, good to have you with us. How are you? Oh, it's great to be here, Lawrence. Thanks for having me today. Looking forward to this discussion and uh, you know learning um, a lot about what what you've been working on, what um, what you guys are currently working on, and also just to get an idea of, of your background, how you've ended up really in, in this. Uh, metaverse web3 space um it's all coming together uh, as, as i'm sure you know um and really just learning from from your experience in also with investing so just for our audience i mean um, what is your background and how have you how have you come into this area oh, of course uh, so it's uh, over 20 years of work now that i've built what is known as a holding company it's wholly owned by me at the top level there's now well over 90 entities in it proudly operating in over 150 joint ventures around the world and, uh, and within 25 plus different industries. So I really built an amazing arsenal of resources, technology, IP, uh, product solutions and services, all that wrap with ex uh, exceptional management at, at these companies and these, and these holdings, as well as great legal, great accounting, great compliance, even great regulatory um, uh, guidance as far as some of the, the companies that we work in the financial services space or crypto or digital asset space. And it's this evolving uh, ecosystem that I built that I started again in the late 90s of uh, building the first B2B, B2C e-commerce platform for the beauty industry. Uh, so through that industry, I got to meet and work with some exceptional celebrities, entertainers, uh, influencers, actors and actresses, building brands and helping those brands go to market. And, uh, and I knew I had to change my model because I continue to help people become more wealthy. I continue to put people on a path that became uh, great liquidity events for them, but I was not attached to the upside of that. So, you know, 15 years of doing it wrong, I knew I had to own as much of the pie as possible. So that meant owning the companies, owning the technology, owning the products that we were developing rather than just partnering with people and hoping that they would pay me and do the right thing at the end. And uh, most people know that that's not the case. People are always chasing for empty promises. And uh, you know, over the last five years, what I really built is, a, again, a great machine of access and resources. And I love what I'm doing now. And I'm working with startups, even up to Fortune 500 companies. And I'm helping these companies grow, become successful. Uh, if it's a startup, putting them on a path to become uh, you know, re generating revenue, earning positive earnings. If you're going to be in business, you got to make money. If you want to grow in business, you got to have a positive cash flow. And you want to you know what your business is worth. It should be worth a multiplier of your earnings. And it's old school mentality, but that's that's the right way to build and grow a business. If it's a Fortune 500 company, same same model, same principles, but we work together and opening up new markets for them, utilizing shared resources to create new products or technology or services, get them properly to the market, and we both share in the upside. So long story, very long, what I built is just this machine that's built to create value, help companies boost their balance sheets and help companies be successful and have earnings. Um, and, and on that, about earnings, I mean, where where does this culture come from where startups almost have like the audacity to think that they're they can just exist without actually having any go-to-market strategy without any um any sales like like the first thing so I, I've, I've only ever worked for like american companies yeah. and you know someone said to me something once it was uh uh she was like a c-level executive you know and I was, I was questioning like the product and she was like look whatever happens never stop selling, never stop recruiting, right? And, and that, I, I really, that is a business lesson that has really stayed with me. And when I set up my first startup, we never stopped recruiting, but we also, I think we brought on board like 270 clients in the first 12 months. 
wasn't a tech company. When I've entered the world of tech and with my first tech startup, there's this attitude that don't worry about making money. Don't worry about sales. Just build a great product. But my my thoughts are, how do startups build a great product if they haven't got sales? If they haven't got any money. It's bizarre, right? It's, uh, it's weird. It's, it's, uh, it's ludicrous. And it really hurts companies more than helps them. Um, this, yeah, this most likely started Silicon Valley type of mentality. And, and the real problem is the money coming in. If the money coming in didn't demand a return or some sort of earnings, then the whole model would be shifted. And a lot of these VCs and funds have the idea of one unicorn, and I'm not the unicorn guy, as you heard me talk, I'm the earnings guy. One unicorn and 99 failures is a successful fund. Uh, no, uh, because you need to help these companies become successful. And and the market's not stupid. If you look at every unicorn, high flyer that went public, the market corrected that thing almost immediately. Facebook went public in the low 30s, dropped down to $15, immediately cut in half. And it worked its way back. And obviously, it's much higher than the IPO. I bought the IPO. I was there with you. I was one of them. But if you held it, you did good, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 yeah. I, sold, I sold it about a year and a half, yeah. So. Oh, so you did good. But but people that didn't have the stomach for that, they, they just got out because they didn't know where the floor was. Same thing with all these um, major tech companies that have that liquidity event. They're ringing the bell. All the bankers and all the initial investors, are, they made their fortunes. But the company then has to earn. The public markets need to see a multiplier based off of your earnings. And uh, what's the first thing that companies do when they need to try to get their earnings and profitability? They fire as many people as they possibly can. So it's it's just an awful hamster wheel that continues to happen. And uh, and it's and it's the money, the inbound money's fault. My model is there's no inbound money until we make sure that this company is a first first and foremost the, the management and the uh, founders have ethical values and morals that align with with mine. I need to make sure that they're you know, they have some sort of um, empathy towards their employees and their, and their workforce. They need to make sure that they have some sort of conscience about money and that it's not that it should be respected and valued. And if money comes in, you don't go and buy a Ferrari or you don't go take a hundred thousand dollar vacation around the world. The money that comes in is there to help support the company, protect the current investors, and get the company to profitability, as well as reward yourself. I think you should always reward yourself. My model was very wrong for 15 years. I thought being last to eat was a smart model. Absolutely not. If you're first to eat and you're smart with your money, you can become your own bank when opportunities come your way for your company. You can finance your own company with your own earnings. Uh, and again, I've learned this and I'm speaking this uh, as the what I think is the expert I am today in some things because I've made every mistake you can think of. And I was uh, you know, regretful for some of my decisions, but but I'm glad I, that I was on the path that I'm on because now I have a much more seasoned approach in guiding these companies to be in uh, being where they should be. And and the last thing an entrepreneur or a founder ever needs to feel or a position they never be and never should be in is deluding themselves out of their own company and finding themselves working for somebody else because that's what happens if you keep raising money, running out of money, raising money, running out of money. At some point, there's no more equity to give up. And now all of a sudden your dreams, your hopes, and your desires are completely evaporated and your mental health and wellness is gone. And you and you look back and say, Jesus, what did I do? What look at all these mistakes I made. And you know what? It's also I don't know how this doesn't sound insulting, but I've I've had to say the fortune and misfortune to deal with quite a lot of VCs. 
Like they're not easy characters, right? And inevitably, you end up just becoming an employee. Mm-hmm. You know, you you you're working towards their targets. You're working towards their vision, and for the most part, they're there to help you, but they're there to make money. And sometimes, you know, I mean, like real profits to squeeze the profit. And sometimes that means like changing direction. And we did that. So when Jan and I bought in our first investor, like our previous company that completely flopped, um, we changed the business model. We changed the trajectory. And I will never, ever, ever do that again, ever. Because what happened was when when when, when the money dried up, when actually, when... Um, shit hit the fan excuse my language um they were gone it wasn't a lot of money to them and you know we were there picking up the pieces and thinking actually we've now got to start again and we just went back to our like core values we went back to what we were doing originally and it's it's just worked out so much better you know um but again from your experience at like at what stage should a founder so obviously you're saying get get your core fundamentals down which means you have to get a product as well how do you suggest companies go about building that first product if they haven't got the investment? Well, you, you do need some capital to come into the company. So whether that's friends and family, people that believe in you, real supporters. And and don't take capital from people that can't afford to put capital in because as a founder, you need as less stress as possible. You need to be very smart with what is the littlest amount of money that you need right now to get a product to market. That's where you should be. You shouldn't be looking on LinkedIn or reading the Wall Street Journal and seeing billion-dollar companies, billion-dollar valuations, because that skews your entire mindset as to what reality is. And and you don't need a big, big business to be happy. If you're chasing things to be happy, you're going to be chasing things for your entire life. So when you get to a good, grounded place and you realize if you have a home, you got your utilities turned on and some food in the fridge, you should be very happy with the basics and where you're at in life. From there, you should look to gradually and comfortably grow without overextending yourself or putting yourself at too much risk. You just got to be very smart with what are you trying to accomplish and go and get one customer. You can also go and utilize things like LinkedIn and find advisors to help support you and open up new opportunities for you and, and really reach out to people to help you. If you get a paid pilot program going somewhere, there's plenty of those to go around with a lot of big companies that want to always think about innovating and the only way that they can innovate is if they work with other companies that are seeing opportunities in the market that they're not seeing uh so there's a lot of strategies you can do to get 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 to market and get a product to market and and you need to find the profitability in that product without offering day one what is the profitability of this because it doesn't mean scale makes you profitable i also learned this i always thought well if i did more business i'll be more profitable no, you're going to have more costs, you're going to have more overhead, you're going to have to hire more people. So what is your ultimate profitability of getting that one product, that one piece of IP technology or solution to one customer? What does that look like? And if it's not right in that moment, more business doesn't make it right. Figure out, tweak it, get it the margins where it needs to be, find other suppliers or other developers to make sure that the product that you want to get to market is as profitable as possible and perfect it. Perfect it with one friendly customer out in the market it could be somebody in your local economy it could be somebody that you found virtually through some platforms that you want to partner and work with just get it properly priced and, and developed and in the market with one player and one friendly and from there you get another one and then from two you get four and then four you get eight and eight you get 16 and the you make it sound so easy it is it's people get people get 
skewed about what value is because you know maybe if you're if you're making five hundred thousand dollars a year with your new company and you're happy and you own as much as possible and I mean that's the revenue of the company and somehow maybe you squeeze a hundred thousand dollars for you out you might have a great happy life if you're doing five million and now you own half of the company and you have all this grief and stress around you and all these other demands from other investors you may not be happy so what's the price you're willing to put on your happiness and again it goes back to what do you really need in life and what do you really want to spend your time and money on if you want to build a business it's not overnight i mean a lot of my businesses i have 10 15 20 year plans for because i know where the market's going and i know where i want to be positioned for that and if you're in the if you're going to be an entrepreneur you're going to be a startup founder the first one may not go right but that's great because you learned a lot in that in that um in that time and now the second one you're going to take some of those experiences and you're going to know what not to do and maybe the second one doesn't go right but that's that's great because the third one's going to come much better than the first and the second again but you just have to be very transparent with the people that are supporting you a lot of the times entrepreneurs are the crazy ones like that apple commercial will tell you and everybody thinks you're nuts until you make it then you then they're your best friend that's why it's really important to just scale back a little bit of your expectations and your hopes and because it's very important to accomplish things in your journey you need to feel valued and that you made decisions and you actually saw something tangible come back and if you're reaching huge you're gonna you're just gonna have this awful disappointment in, in your in your soul and in your gut more importantly the people around you are not going to be there supporting you and and entrepreneurs need a good support system they need love and positivity from every aspect of their life of people that really want to see them succeed yeah i i, I definitely agree with that we um i, I think it would well, no, i don't think i know it was it was february 2021 we ran out of everything we had no money and we had like our our product was running through the google servers phoned up google they were nice about it but they were like look if you haven't paid the bill by february 26th like everything goes off and I had to fire my team. Like in the middle of a pandemic, we had one guy that was starting on the Monday. I thought, and I was like phoning up and letting him know on the Friday. But he'd like helped out with stuff before, like for a good year or so. Yeah. And um, I pretty much fired the whole team in one day. Like one by one, phoned them up. And I said, I told them what had happened with the investors and so forth. Each one of them, they refused to leave. That's amazing. Like like that honestly if you want to feel support that's that's when you find out uh, which and who really which people and who really believes in what it is you're building and what what you know what it is that you're trying to actually achieve and they will say they're still here now that's amazing yeah it's incredible but, but i mean i mean yeah. i mean but one one thing i was good at though and again i've made tons of mistakes <laughs> i was like let's get sales now i didn't care i was like let's just go and get sales and within six months of us uh, rebuilding the platform, I went out and I got our first client. And then a month later, I got client two, client three, yeah. client four. And before I knew it, within like, I mean, within like three or four weeks of selling, I think we had like six or seven clients. And that was just enough for getting the money, for them to complain. They bitched and moaned. And, you know, when you when you give um, your products away for free, it's always really interesting you know, because what you find is that when you give a product away for free, people don't really use it. But when you start charging them a pound, they will start telling you exactly what they think of it. 
you know, they will start complaining. And that is, I mean, for me, I think that's invaluable because then you can go back to the drawing board. But I mean, with yourself, like, you know, you obviously speak with a lot of founders. How do you decipher a good founder from a bad founder? How do you know which ones? You must look at them and go, that one's going to be successful. There's a star there. Yeah. Well, I answered that question a couple of ways. So I'm, I'm not, I want to say a good or a bad founder from my comfort because it's good and bad in all of us and I'm not somebody's judge. So I only, I go in this and what'll work for me. So, you know, uh, first, first and foremost, it goes back to their ethics and morals. And if they're grounded, if someone's bragging about things or flashing me their fancy watch or, you know, kind of peacocking to me about how great they are, it's usually not going to work. I, I need people that are humbled and grounded and, and really want to do something good. So, you know, for my, my take on life, money's a byproduct of good people doing good work. And, and that just happens to, to be the byproduct of, of that, of that formula. <clears throat> uh, so that's first and foremost. So secondly, I also need to know what, where do they, what do they want to be in life? What is their passion? Cause I, I want to be a support system. I, all this, I'm a founder at heart. So all the companies that I've built, I've had to go out of basically alone and figure it out and get my ass kicked and, and just know who to trust, who not to trust. And my inner circle gets smaller and smaller each day. So, you know, my rules when they're my companies, it's my rules because my ass is on the line. But when they're other people's companies that I get to work with, I know what they need. So if they can, if they can handle my support, was a lot of people kind of don't understand me because there's no ulterior motive. It's I'm here to help you. I'm here to build a company. I'm here to make this a success. Often people, because they're always, maybe they got their guard up or they always think that somebody's got their hand in their pocket. Like my deals are very simple. I join the team. I'm part of the team. We have our arrangement and we go. It's kind of funny because some founders get intimidated or they get jealous. It's weird because the mentality is just very weird when they see me there helping and maybe, you know, I'll be on calls and someone will say, well, I'm here because Brian told me to get here. What are we going to do together? And I could tell sometimes certain founders, if they're not getting all the praise and they're not getting all the accolades and everything isn't all about them. I, we're not going to work well together because they're, they're putting a wall up between my support and their insecurities and their ego. Uh, so that's another thing that I look for. I got to make sure that they can handle, I'm going to bring an arsenal of support to make this company go where it needs to go. It might take a day, it might take two years, but we're going to get there. And if they don't put their guard down and welcome that with open arms and really appreciate someone giving me, someone giving them their time like me, but more importantly, someone giving them all my relationships and experience and, and resources, and if they want to battle me on that when I'm there trying to help, it's, there's there's no fixing that. That's something that therapy is needed for them. Not that's not my job. My job is to spend my time wisely and help help. I, I've I've had enough people work with me, and I'm sure that they'll say I definitely need therapy myself. I'm I'm a nightmare to work with, but I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm also very conscious of that. Um, but you, you know what? There is there isn't balance though, because sometimes again we've got a very experienced advisory board um all in the fintech blockchain space and sometimes they'll suggest things and i will i'll, I'll always always consider it um and i'd say actually most of the time i'll, I'll pretty much go with what they're suggesting because they've got a good basis for why they're suggesting it but there are times when you have to go actually no do you know what this is wrong whatever you're suggesting i get it but you're not seeing the bigger picture like you must have to deal with quite a few big egos in that respect and actually 
do you ever find yourself backing down yourself? Well, yeah, I know I have to back down because, uh, again, I'm there to support the founder and the vision. I know how to tactfully suggest things and make sure I'm not insulting their current directions because I want to support their current directions. But I also want to sprinkle in, hey, here's an opportunity that could really help that direction become successful. It's all about communication. Uh, but I got to also know when to throw in the towel. I'm not going to waste my time trying to prove myself to a, to a founder that brought me on. Your time's much more well spent. If you're not going to embrace us working together as a team, then we're not going to work together because there's a million other startups out there that are that would, would die for my help. And, and that's where I'll that's where I'll spend my time. Um, so again, I'm not I'm not there to be a, a wall to to a founder. I also I also need to make sure the founders get beat up a little bit. But I'm there to make sure it doesn't go too far because if you want to be a seasoned CEO and you want to be able to handle anything that life throws at you, like a global pandemic, you better get your ass kicked a little bit and understand that life is not easy. There's always going to be a problem. And if you're not equipped to handle those problems and you're not equipped to be a successful CEO, it's great to have someone like me there to help make sure it doesn't go too far and help you problem solve out of it. But you need to you need to get experience. You need to get practice. And the only way to do that is you need to make mistakes and you need to grow from those mistakes. Yeah, and I, I've got to say that sometimes life just isn't fair, and deal with it. You know, it's um, like, so. But for first startup, killing it, and then the laws changed in the UK. We couldn't, we couldn't run the business. So we had to completely change our business model, which crushed the business. Um, second attempt, we had had CTO run off, and actually, I went to Seattle, met with investors, ran off and stole the product. Then we dealt with the pandemic. Then we had um, an investor essentially like run out of money. Um, and then we had to deal with like Russian and Ukrainian hackers. Like <laughs> we've had and, a lot of failures. And you're here smiling. That's, uh, you know, you can, you know, tomorrow, I'm not wishing this, something cool. could happen. And you know, we got this. We'll get, we'll figure it out. We'll get over, we'll get over it. Do you know what? So it's funny you say that something did happen yesterday. And um, like one of the team members phoned me up. I was like, it's not a big deal. We'll work it out. It's not ideal. They're like, are you sure like this could kill the company? I was like, it won't. Yeah. It won't. So, and you because... wouldn't have that confidence if you didn't go through all the hell that you've been through because you know there's always a solution. You could make five seasons of a Netflix original about us. People would not believe our story. <laughs> I don't there. think I'd ever tell it, to be fair. But look, I mean, one one, one thing that I really want to hit on um, is actually this, this attitude towards raising capital. It is definitely getting more difficult. I, I think this is kind of like the new normal now, um, even with companies that have raised. In fact, it's probably tougher for companies that have already raised like Series A. Because, um, yeah. you know, if they burnt through 20, 30, 50 million, you know, they've got to then go and justify that to the next set of investors. Why? Um, what is the best approach for early stage uh founders to uh, how should they at least build those relationships with investors and people like yourself who can really propel their company and put them in front of the right people again the best thing is show some earnings show that you have a pipeline of customers you gotta if you're gonna go and burn the midnight oil build burn the midnight oil building a pipeline of potential customers that you can show investors saying here's here's the bites i got on this these are the people that we can probably turn on and one month, six months, one year. I just need a, I need X amount of capital to get the product developed and, and out into the market. And I already have an audience of people that are looking to buy it. 
you gotta you gotta get some credibility and some support out there. And again, it could be in your local economy. So don't think you gotta go and sign a, an IBM or a Fortune 50 company. You'll get there. But if you have the know-how and the wherewithal to go and get someone to say yes anywhere, go get it. And then once you get those 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 buy-ins, it's a lot easier to say to a potential investor, hey, listen, I got here's the product we want to make. Here's a buyer we already got. We're going to make 30% margins, but those margins are going to grow when we, when we get more buyers. And then the investor knows that this is a business. This is a business that could actually have some positive earnings. I also love a yield. I think if you can go into a, to your investment community and say, here's what we're building. We're going to share X amount back with our investors every quarter, biannually, uh, annually. Awesome. You got to give investors back something. It's not nice to let people that have tax earnings give you their money and then they're waiting for hopefully a liquidity event one day. I don't think that's appropriate to do to people. I think you got to give these investors excitement. You got to give them constant updates. But more importantly, you got to share some of your earnings with them because these are the people that are putting you in business. And it's possibly the people that can continue to keep you in business if you're feeding them a little something back. And the only way you can feed them something back goes back to what I keep saying. You got to find a way to have some positive earnings. And if you got a dividend inside of your your PPM or your investment deck, that's going to force you to be profitable. That's going to force you to be very smart with your decisions, who you hire, where you spend your money, how you pay people, how you pay yourself. It's going to it's going to reprogram your brain to get off this bullshit nonsense, unsustainable valuation machine that all these companies are doing and be in business to make some money. Go back to 1980 before all this craziness started and go in business and create earnings. That's as simple as it can possibly be. And if you're not ready for that, go back to the corporate world and learn some more on somebody else's dime until you're ready to go off on your own. I mean, one, so one thing that I do on, on our website, we actually post our monthly, the costs. So that actually anyone that wants to come, any investors that want to know uh, what we're spending, I don't want to have long conversations with with potential investors. Not interested. And, and again, it doesn't it doesn't seem to work, it, or at least you know, I'm doing something wrong. And I pro it probably is me. Um, but now I just have a page on the on the landing page where it's like anything you want, pitch decks, previous Y Combinator, Sequoia Arc applications earnings we have like a monthly update so investors know exactly what's going on in the company uh any new partnerships sales yeah. it just right. yeah like yeah. i think so so one thing that i did really wrong so and it was i kind of respectfully i hope this doesn't come across wrong way I, I worked with americans very early on and they were like yeah it's just about raising capital let's raise capital and we had like an idea. We went out to Seattle and sitting across from this VC, who was a complete douchebag. And he was just like, he was like, you know, you can raise capital at five to seven million. And I was like, we've already got an idea, you know, we've got an idea and they're going to let us raise capital. And they put us in touch with people and we had very serious discussions, but it was just, it, it's, it's madness. It's actually madness. So, I mean, that said, going back to sales, and I'm going to push you a bit on this. Why? Why aren't founders doing it? Why aren't they just going out there, going on LinkedIn, going on TikTok, whatever it is, and just going out there and just trying to sell their product, even if it's not good enough? I mean, some people are doing that. So, I mean, you could you could see that being done. Um, you see great platforms like, you know, I was never a big fan of crowdfunding. 
Um, but you see like the Indiegogo's, Start Engine, WeFunder. I'm sure you have other ones in Europe that are similar. That's a great place now, I think, for people to get a product developed. It also helps you build a customer base with your potential investors and helps you build a community. And, it, and it, 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 you got to build a big data room for those things. You got to be compliant. So it starts to really educate people that haven't done this. So it's nobody's fault. They fall into this trap that every startup tries to, tends to fall on, whether they get invited into an accelerator, an incubator, or, you know, things that just really don't give them the full support that they need. If you're going to be in an environment like that, you got to demand, I need share resources from all your other um, clients in that incubator. We need to make sure that the, my, my company is going to be seen. It's going to be a priority. It's going to be promoted. I need you to help me get customers as well as just capital. So a lot of the ask has to come from the founder or the startup because that's going to dictate the the term sheet of, of of the support that you get or the support that you don't get. And you only get there again through experience. Uh, so it's just, it's just a routine that founders think that they need to be on. They need to go and raise money. And they, and then again, like you said, figure out sales later. That's not true. Yeah, <laughs> it should not. never be true. Cool. And any, any, any reason why there's a bubble is, is because of that mentality. And when, uh, valuations collapse is because there's no earnings to support the valuation. That's that's math. It's not like companies are being picked on. It's not that they're tanking. They're, when the public sees, I don't know, isn't PayPal down a crazy amount this year? Things are down like crazy amounts. The public and, and the market say, well, their earnings aren't great and their earnings aren't sustainable. And here's where we think that they're valued. That's, that's the market. The market's great. It's never failed us before. It, it's it's a proven vehicle for for justifying true earnings. Sometimes you find gems that are undervalued, and they got to prove themselves to the market. But companies just have to go into business to 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 make some money. And don't don't overload your deck with a million advisors that aren't doing anything. Hold people accountable. Make sure that they're really working. They're really providing value, and they're really supporting what your dreams are. And if they're not, they have to go. Founders yeah. also got to be tough. Uh, they love when I come in because I'll go and talk to every advisor and say, what have you done? You have 30 days to do something. If you don't, you're out. You get no equity. You've done nothing. You've hurt this company. You're not an advisor. You're hurting this company. Um, and then once My advisors like, have to sell. They have to. They, they, they actually have to. Like that. That's it. Like, I know it sounds nuts, but if you can't nuts, sell, you can't. Yeah, if you can't sell, then. Got to go. Yeah, you got to go. Um, I mean, I, I want to change directions slightly. I kind of want to hit back a little bit more on you rather than your experience. Um, you know, or maybe intertwine the two, actually. But, I mean, you've obviously got tons of knowledge, tons of experience on building startups. Like, you've obviously seen CEOs and founders go through everything, I would imagine. Like, what, what, is the, what is an example of like the sort of like traumatic things that either you've been through or you've seen others go through and actually you've seen them come out on the other side just, you know, better than ever? Yeah, well, I've been through a lot of trauma this, in this journey. Uh, the biggest one was I was in a head-on car accident in 2016 when a drunk driver hit me. So I lost everything from that. A domino effect of that was I had 30 or so holdings in my holding company at the time. Uh, you know, what I thought was a good model and it was not. So once I was ripped out of the equation, I was a glue, I was a deal maker. I was the one putting my assets on the line, leveraging assets to keep these companies going. And um, 
So I'm grateful that that woman hit me uh, because she could have killed somebody. And also she made me force, she was, she forced me to change my entire model, which was great. It took me five years to perfect it and get to where I am today. But um, at that point, uh, it was at the lowest, darkest moment of my life. Uh, you had a great story where your employees didn't leave you and they wanted to give you more of them to, to make sure that you were successful and that the company was successful. I couldn't get an hour from people that I was very generous to. I co-signed on for cars and houses for, overly paid them. Um, so I had a very conscious decision to make. Do I become angry and bitter at the world and try to rebuild? I knew that was not going to work. I knew I'd be mummering to myself in the streets with nothing. I knew I had to be positive about the experience. I went through this for a reason. I'm still here for a reason. And I can't feel jaded or angry towards humanity or the world because my ability to do what I've done is my openness, my friendliness, my generosity. So I knew I had to keep all that intact. I just had to perfect as to who I invite into my world and be very selective who I invite into my world because, you know, I had to rebuild and I had to be very careful who I trusted, who I shared this information with and how do I properly then start to value myself. That was the next biggest learning experience from my, my journey was I'm the value. I'm the one that does all this. It's my brain. It's my risk taking. It's my relationships. I'm the one that needs the first and foremost, what am I valued at? And that was kind of interesting and fun exercise to rebuild and start getting invited back into companies and prove my worth and have some sort of value attached to my worth so I can rebuild and pay back debts. I didn't file for bankruptcy. I don't think that that would have been a nice move to, to make. It wasn't because of stupidity or ego. It was because I'm, I'm someone that it's going to pay back my debts. If it takes my lifetime, I'm going to pay back my debts. I never go into life wanting to hurt somebody. My life got disrupted and turned upside down and, and, um, and I had to fix it and which I'm grateful that I have done. I've come back stronger and smarter, uh, since then. And, uh, and now I have a world that's completely my own. I'm not used and abused by people that want to take advantage of me or just use me to meet somebody or try to use me for whatever their ulterior motives are. I pick up on that very quickly now and I call them out on it. And my world is I invite warranted people into my life and we do great business together. If someone still to this day can find a way to screw me over or, or steal from me or try to hurt me, I'm very grateful for them. I thank them for that because they showed me a vulnerability that I still have and something I need, still need to work on. Then I say a prayer for them and I hope they, they do great things in life. Really? The better that, yeah, the better that I'm telling you, the better that that person does, You'll never see or hear from them again. You want them to have the best possible life ever so that they're out of your life forever. And uh, and you can't harbor those feelings because it's toxic. It's anger. It, it disrupts. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I heard I heard a um, I heard a quote once says harboring uh, anger and bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting it's, the other person to die. It's 100 percent correct. The, the last this took me a long time to, to perfect and learn. So maybe something that could help you never give somebody your mentality, never say the words. Why did that person do that? Or why did that person say that? Once you go down that trap, you're constantly wondering why somebody did what they did. There is nobody on this planet that will ever think, act, or speak a hundred percent like you do. They did not grow up in your household. They didn't go through all your life experiences. You're very unique in the way that you think and your expectations. So you cannot be disappointed when somebody does something out of your acceptable mindset because that's on them. That's their life. That's their decision. That's their Sure, but you're forgiving about it. You're actually forgiving. You have to. Yeah. You have to.
Yeah, their, their actions, their actions are their actions. The, the fault lies on you, Lawrence, because you let them in your life to do that. That's where we. That's where no, we. Evolve. Come on, yes. sometimes, sometimes. That's where we. No, really? no. Okay. That's where we evolve. If you, the more people you meet that screw you, the better sense and radar you get from avoiding that same person in the future with a different name and different. That I get. That I so get. Then, so then, then you start eliminating problems from your life. So most of my life, I was very valuable at solving problems. That's why people call me. That's why people invited me into rooms to help them solve a problem or problems that they had. That was fun. I want that to be over. My biggest value is preventing the problem from happening in the first place. And that is only done by surrounding yourself with good ethical people and being quick to spot someone that may be changing people's motives change. If they find a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend, they get married, people change, but you got to spot that before it happens and you have to prepare yourself for what's happening. So you're not disappointed and you can try to prevent it from happening in the first place. Oh, okay. I, I, I actually, and I'm not saying this, I actually really admire your, your approach to that. Thanks. Well, You're obviously a better person than I am. I'm, yeah. I'm Italian and I could be angry and flip tables. I've done that. I don't want to be that person. It's embarrassing. No, listen, I, don't... I don't, I don't get, actually, I have, I had one business partner I, I was horrendous to. I was bad, like in terms of, although I'm pretty sure he ran off with about 18 grand, but um, I was, I was horrendous to work with because, he just, I had one business partner. I promise you, he would stare you dead, deadpan in the face and say, yep, no worries, I've done it. If there's something that needs to be, he would tell you he's done it. And then you'd find out a month later from a client, he just never did it. And that's that's on him. Well, sorry? That's on him, except this was your business partner. And unfortunately- This was like years him. ago, by the way, not my current yeah. business partner. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, so. I, this was like years ago. I got rid of him. That's on him, but you you needed to have some sort of systems in place to make sure he's telling you the truth. After you know that he's a he's a liar, whatever that's called. Um, like I actually feel bad for him. He he wasn't a bad guy. He was just I don't know. He he, he wasn't a bad guy. He was just he he, he wasn't ambitious, you know. And yeah. that's my weakness, actually. One thing I always think that if I have like an ambition. I think other people that I'm speaking to share the same ambition and I've done stupid things. Like I hired a load of consultants because this is again at the start of the journey, um, hired a a load of consultants and I kind of thought, God, they're all really enthusiastic. They weren't, they were doing nothing. They were just like invoicing me. That that was literally the, 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 the total sum of their work to invoice me once a month. But I've kind of confused my enthusiasm with their enthusiasm. Yeah, I got killed. It's okay. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's okay. But you learn from that and you know not to do that again. And you have some you know, expectations in place and when you're hiring people. It's all part of the learning process. But if someone does you wrong, this, this worked for me. Otherwise, I would be a bitter, angry person. I do not want to be that because every day someone can hurt you or disappoint you. But you can't set yourself up for that. That's where you have to, and I say you, not you. I'm saying you in general. That's where someone has to just say, okay, first and foremost, clean house once in a while. If it's friends, family, loved ones, if people aren't there being positive and supportive, they need to go on timeout or they need to be kind of taken out of your life for a little bit because your mental health and wellness and your value and your support system needs to be so strong. And if it's not, you can't do anything. If your house isn't in order, 
and you don't have a calm home life, you can't have a calm business life. You need to feel safe at work. You need to be, you need to feel safe at home. And if that's not happening, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen the next day. You need to make some really tough decisions that may sound cold, but people need to be happy. I mean, the last few years have taught us a lot. Like you don't need much to survive and you better be doing what you love. If you're not doing what you love or what you're passionate about, then you're just wasting your life. And if you're surrounding yourself by a bunch of scumbags that just are leeches and pulling your energy and being toxic to you, they got to go, go re reset, clean house, fire people from your life. And I guarantee you, your life will start to change very quickly and you'll start to feel good about your day. You're going to want to jump out of bed. And you're going to go after the day and there's going to be problems, but it's okay because you're going to get over them. Like, like you've gotten over all, all the setbacks yeah. that you've experienced with this business. And um, I, again, yeah. I've been lucky. There are, I don't take away, I don't track from the fact that meeting Jan, Dean Steele, my co-founder, um, Emma, again, our other co-founder, you know, I got lucky meeting them. Yarn, Yarn, I'm still convinced to this day that Yarn is the best problem solver I've ever come across. And I'm very fortunate to work and speak with some very smart people. But he's a, yeah, I've, I think I've just got lucky with the people that I've met because in at least one area, they're substantially smarter than I am. I see. I wouldn't say luck. I would say it's all your life decisions that led you to meet them. So it's your actions, your de decisions, your lack of decision. Everything that you've done up until that point when you met that person isn't luck. That's your life's work. That's your efforts. That's your time being spent. Um, I mean, I like to think that there's fate. I like to think that there's destiny. But there's certain things that happen in my life that are – there's no way that they – they happen because of a set of series of decisions and where I found myself in that moment. And, and all those decisions led for that, that thing to happen. Uh, so I, I, luck is cool. Um, I, I like to think that we have some say over where we go in our lives and that our, our decisions actually have some outcomes. And, you know, my answer to that is I, I, I come across people because of thousands of decisions and actions that led me to be at that moment at that time. And I think one of those, uh, one of those outcomes, I think, am I correct in saying that it's been nodal? Um, are we okay to discuss nodal? And yeah, nodal amazing company so yeah thank you for bringing nodal up uh, nodal's become the world's largest wireless network connecting billions of iot devices a day uh we've uh amazing team uh, ceo misha benoliel and co-founder garrett kinsman uh, built a wireless network wireless bluetooth iot network we have our nodal cash app which uh, we have hundreds of thousands of digital wallets that are earning digital currencies every day every minute of the day walking around connecting passively to iot devices so there's a good chance our nodal technology sits on your phone with one of our app partners or download download our nodal cash app and you can actually start to easily earn our nodal cash cryptocurrency uh, so we've built a built an amazing company amazing team it's been through tons of up and downs over the last five years uh, we've just began listing on top tier exchanges for our cryptocurrency so a lot of support a huge community and we've made it easy for anybody around the world to just download a simple app, push a couple of buttons, and all of a sudden you're, you're in the cryptocurrency game and you're uh, and you're earning our Nodal Cash cryptocurrency. Nice. And what's next for Nodal? Uh, Nodal continues to grow, building out great uh, partners and use cases. You know, obviously, you hear me talking about earnings, so utilizing our network with clients for asset tracking, for shipping, for reporting back data. 
anything that's a Bluetooth sensor that's broadcasting out data typically never had a uh, a way to connect to a network because it didn't have a Wi-Fi chip, it didn't have a cellular module, it didn't have a strong enough battery for the for those types of connectivity chips to be able to report that data back. So our nodal network is a very low cost network that finally allows for any IoT device, any Bluetooth device to be able to uh, pick up that data. So we use we use the uh, nodal cache app or the user's phone as a gateway to pull that little packet of data. And for that, that's how you get rewarded our nodal cache cryptocurrency. We don't collect any personal information on uh, on the user profile. We don't interact. We don't um, uh, interfere with the experience of the app. It's just simply passively connecting and, and pulling that little bit of data. And, uh, and it's a great model. Um, it seems to be really working and connecting with the community. Excited to see where it goes. Um, Brian Esposito, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, Esposito Intellectual Enterprises. Brian, it's been really good to have you with us today. Thank you, Lawrence. I appreciate the time. Keep up the great work. Great to see you.